Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes. 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 Any fancy a pint? Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. Blues explosion. Uh, I don't know what happened to me then. I'm just all excited, I think. I'm all quiver because uh, I got Matt's in the studio. Hello, Cam. Are you well? Are, right. are you? It's a bit cold out there, but you're in here. Yeah. You're rugged up. You're I'm feeling. I'm in here. Got a jumper on. I've had. A, I've got to have my one ear. I have croissant. You haven't touched your croissant. croissant. You have not touched your croissant. Had the coffee, but not the croissant. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was. Uh, that was one of the things you know during the summer film. Yes. One of the greatest constructions that Kent and I had, mm. uh, other than the uh, uh, the the bottomless esky, yes. was the croissant barge that <laughs> 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 would come around. It's an another imaginary... week's supply. Yeah, yeah, no, and they used to come every day, every morning. Oh, nice! Used to come around a headland, this beautiful point, and and uh, give uh, give croissants to all, and it was. Uh, it was a lovely thing. How you doing out there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, beautiful humans, just to uh, to cover everything here? Yes. It's a shitty day. Vale, uh, one of the greats. Oh, okay. Yes, we need to do that. I was going to. Um, I thought you were going right. straight in, but I did just want to. Uh, obviously, we both want to mark the passing of. We do. Uh, we do. Archie Roach uh, was announced yesterday. Um, an absolute giant in the music industry. And can I just say, Cam, from a yeah. from a Skippy white person's perspective, yes, um, Skippy, yes, Archie's music really did help me understand some of the stolen generations, and 
uh, and that was sort of a lot of my insight into um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. indigenous uh, political issues. Yes. Um, so I thank him for that and everything else he's done. He's obviously and, a massive legacy. And and also that that while you were seeing him, it was similar for me. It was uh, like um, seeing, of course, his wife Ruby, who passed yes. before him. Um, and um, yeah, a, a bridge. Um, across cultures and and also someone who just by way of performing would do what is magic with music in that you can feel it as goosebumps going up and down your body and the way that the hairs of the back of your neck would stand up. Yes. Um, yeah, a beautiful human being and, um, yeah, fail. And gone far too soon. And gone far mm. too. And gone far too soon. Yes. Well, look at you brought me down from my bloody John Spencer. I know. I, I, I took the energy right out of you. <laughs> we should. Hit. We're going to put the energy uh, back in though because we've got a uh, we've got a good show for you today. It's it is. It's uh, but just again to on the seriousness and mm. the and the significance of of his passing um, is that he yes built so many bridges and touched a lot of people. And uh, what a what a legacy! Yes, here, here. What a what a wonderful legacy! Uh, today's show, we have got something very, very, very special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a book just in front of us here. It's not often that we do biographies here on this show. That's a, it's a very well thumbed paperback biography. Uh, and I've, there's, and there's notes, there's highlighted passages. Yeah, what is this book, Cameron? This book is a, is a memoir of uh, of a life in hospitality. Um, it's called the memoir with bite, and uh, the author of this book is someone who uh, I have admired, revered. Um, um, You've been slightly in awe of, sometimes a little bit afraid of too, if I'm if I'm honest. Uh, but yeah, someone who I've really dug for a long time. Her name, their name is Jess Ho. Uh, it's called a memoir of bites. Called Raised by Wolves. Yes, and um, it is. Uh, it's quite a yarn. Mm. <laughs> it's quite a yarn, <laughs> and uh, and also quite um, uh, quite young to be writing your memoirs, but. Uh, Hospital years are a little bit like dog years. They are, aren't they? That's a good observation. <laughs> they, they you don't them. see too many grey-haired people working behind the pans, for better or for worse. Oh, it's usually for the worst if yeah. you do see it, I tell you. Um, but we, we've we got a good chunk of time. We've uh, Jess will be on uh, quite shortly once yes. we have a little bit of a, a, a chat ourselves. And then we're going to be speaking uh, later on in the show, who's mm. uh, coming in. Uh, from Pavlova headquarters in Alfington. <laughs> yes. Um, the Pavlova Tower. Yes, the Pavlova Tower. The motor's gone down <laughs> and the white charges are coming with the Pavlovas. Uh, and Nerina McPherson, a.k.a. the Pavlova Queen, who has um, taken a stalwart item, mm. icon, um, you know, the, the pavlova was a little bit of a limited thing. You know, yes. it's like, you know, you talk about it, go, what do you want? You want strawberries? You want kiwi fruit? Mm-hmm. Strawberries, kiwi fruit. Mm-hmm. Some say passion fruit. Um, she's taken it into a whole new ball game, and uh, is also, uh, the word on the street is uh, that she's doing pavlova workshops. 
So you can divine. You could be a master of you pav. You could be told the secrets of the pav. <laughs> it's a ceremony. It happens. It's around midnight. Yes. <laughs> They all file in with candles. They do. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a thing you have to be inducted into. It no, is. I'm I'm digressing and being stupid. Uh, no, Nerida has um, taken this path and run with it, made it her own, and uh, has made some interesting. Um, variations. There you go. Mm. When when English actually comes back to you as your language, mm-hmm. variations have been given. Um, so yes, that's kind of interesting. Hopefully, yes. But in the meantime, um, we must. Um, well, we've got to face this fact that there's been a. Bloody huge blow-up at postcode 3000. Yes, you were saying before in the, the show, city. I, I wasn't across this politic, but uh, well, there's been troubles. You've got trouble at Mill. <laughs> That's what you wanted to say. And you're talking, of course, about a restaurant called... Trouble at Mill. Uh, no, a cucino povero, or the uh, the food of the poor. Yes. Povera. Povero. Povera. Povera. <laughs> See, I, I, I always get Italians shaking their fingers at me, going, why are you murdering my language so much? Uh, this restaurant uh, used to be called Masai. Um, a weird-shaped restaurant. There was something that was always a bit odd about the way that... That's just me, mm. right, mm. coming in. Um, it's on the west side of Elizabeth Street, going up a little Collins Street. Um, Joseph Argetto um, had it for a long time and closed it with all the things with COVID. Made his focus Mr. Bianco, which mm-hmm. is in queue. Yep. Lovely place, lots of wood panelling, beautiful pasta, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And rightly or wrongly, he went into a partnership mm-hmm. with Moritz Terzoni. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Icebergs. Yes, I know him more as a Sydney uh, restaurateur. Well, there was a time, my friend, mm. when he was a personification of the Italian cucina in yes. Melbourne. Oh. I think about um, uh, places like, and I'm trying, of course, the, <laughs> the name escapes me, the most famous Italian restaurant on Chapel Street. Which is Cave a Cucina. Thank you, a Cucina. Uh, and also, the he was also uh, part owner of uh, the George when Karen Martini oh. was cooking there and um, had the two hats. They're a long time ago now. Uh, yeah, well, I'm old. We, we both get <laughs> old, you, but, you but, but we digress. Yeah, we do too. So, yes, so the um, they came together mm. and they pretty much separated really quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's the, there you go, that's mm-hmm. the Reader's Digest version. Uh, they opened a few services. Uh, and then the staff came and there were locks changed Ooh. and there was a note on the door yeah. and all the staff went, well, I guess we don't have a job anymore. Uh-huh. And it's, um, I don't really know what went on. Um, if you care to subscribe to the Herald or if you are one of those, there might be a bit of insight there. Uh, but we have to acknowledge that maybe it's the, the fastest opening and closure of a place in the history of Melbourne restaurants. You know what I reckon? I reckon running a restaurant is tough. Running a restaurant requires a very large investment to get the thing started. Yep. Um, and when it goes off the rails, it's not good for anyone. Uh, so, yeah, that kind of sucks, hey? 
It does. Mm. It does. And um, and there's a lot of people that, uh, yeah, never got to see what uh, what that food was uh, all about because mm. I was I was certainly kind of interested uh, in there. Uh, but um, you were telling me you wanted to do a what's, what's that in your mouth? mouth? Here we go. Uh, what was that in your mouth? I've, I had a couple of good experiences in the last couple of weeks. Mm. Uh, this sort of weather cam made me think a little bit more about your traditional Sunday roast. Right. So, uh, you know. Sunday roast. So, vegetarians, maybe just tune out for a couple of minutes. Cool. Um, although, plenty of good roasting options, if you, but, but I didn't select any. Anyway. Yes, um, you can. Yes, roasted roots are one of the finest things around. Sour um, cream, sesame seeds. But I found myself just wanting a good roast, and so I did what any um, idiot would do, and just went to the search, search engine of your choice and said Melbourne's best roasts. And I found a. Uh, and I came up the RACV Club or something. <laughs> no, it didn't. I wasn't at Cape Shank. I'm pleased to say. Yeah, okay, right. Uh, but no, I found this uh, and selected just completely randomly a place I wouldn't normally go, which is Northside. Um, mm-hmm. Northside. You went Northside. I know. Went to a beautiful place in Fitzroy North called Neighbourhood Wine. Yeah. Um, and it was bloody delicious. Highly recommended uh, for what is it? Fifty bucks, I think, for a three course Sunday roast, um, and it's 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 packed. So obviously, it's very very popular as well. Yes. So if you're in that neighbourhood, you probably already know about a little place called Neighbourhood Wine. But I didn't, and I discovered it, and it was awesome. Tell, tell me more. Uh, Did they I, have a fireplace? Uh, there's a fireplace. There's a <gasps> couple of rooms upstairs. We yeah. were sitting in the old sort of billiard parlour, it looked like. Oh, wow. Um, and it was packed, so they're doing very well. Um, have, make a reservation. Did the roast have Yorkshire pudding? It did. Oh, you, this it is did. proper? Yes. Oh, okay, wow. You also had uh, some handmade or housemade uh, salumi to start. Yeah. And a very punchy wine list, as you'd expect from a place called Neighbourhood Wine. Wow. So, um, yeah, if, you, if you're around Fitzroy North and you haven't already sampled, I'm probably the last person in Melbourne to discover it. But yeah. um, highly but recommend. Just the fact that you went over the Yarra to eat. Took a tram. Took a tram. 96. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the old 96. The old 96. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Well, um, I had uh, the delight uh, to be invited to the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival's ah, yes. 35th. Uh, celebrating 35 years of uh, of being around, yes. and um, and it was described as a gala night. <laughs> you know, it was gala, right? <laughs> it was gala, full capitals, 24 point print. What was the venue? Melbourne's probably one of my probably maybe my favourite venue in all of Melbourne, which is the Plaza Ballroom. And, oh, and the Plaza yes, Ballroom yes, yes, yes. is under un, underneath um, the Regent Theatre. I don't think um, I don't think a lot of our listeners would have been in there because I think it's no. it's the sort of room where it no, only really it's... does functions and events. And if you're not invited to a function, like it's, it's well, like unless a... you know someone who's just got bucket loads of money <laughs> and you go to the daughter's wedding, yes, which is one reason that people go there, yes. Um, or if you're lucky enough to go to uh, get a, a grade, you know, the gold ticket yep. uh, to a function like this. It is like a bit of a hidden secret. So it's just it it's, it's it's underground secret. just across Collins Street it's from the fantasy. town hall. It it is. Is a, it's a fantasy underneath the, the region. It's like this Spanish mission style um, with this sort of um, weird, uh, like uh, this, uh, come on, words. Um <laughs> This plastering, which is um, a technique which apparently is called scumbling, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's like a mission style and it's designed to look like 
a Spanish town plaza. Yeah, right. That's the only way I can describe mm-hmm. it. And it is just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Made more so by the fact that this was for Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, mm-hmm. you know, a, um, a festival because now I have a few years on the clock. Mm. Uh, I was around for the very, very first one and I've witnessed all those 35 years. <laughs> Jesus, I'm getting old. <clears throat> anyway, moving resolutely on, um, what made it even more relevant for today is that, uh, yeah, the rear vision mirror mm-hmm. was there. We were looking back, mm-hmm. yeah? yeah? We're looking back, man. Mm-hmm. But no, we're also looking over the bonnet of the Spanish-made car, which I can't <laughs> think of any Spanish-made cars, because it was presented 35 dishes by 35 of the new, newest and hottest cooks and chefs in Melbourne. Yeah, right. So there's a whole generation of people. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be busy, Matt, you and I, because there's a lot of new people to interview. Yes. <laughs> um, but it was just an amazing night. Great, great, great food. Yep. As you'd expect. Um, and, you know, funny thing is, one of the highlights of the whole evening, mm. dish-wise, was this eggplant dish. Can you describe it? Soft, flavourful, sweet, just perfect. The the absolute... Because eggplant... Yes. We've ever had undercooked or raw, you know, pretty much raw egg. Or egg eggplant eggplant is, is honestly one of those things I do avoid in the kitchen because... Uh, it's very easy to get wrong, mm. uh, and when you do, it's pus. But it sounds like what you had did you was say pus right at the opposite end of the spectrum? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was. But uh, there was there was great booze. Uh, there was great people. Um, there was all the you know the great and the good were mm. there. Uh, just a fabulous environment, and uh, and also here's to food and wine festival getting set for another 35 years. And I thought the perspective and uh, the helms, uh, the helms personship, <laughs> helmsmanship, yes. you know, sorry, uh, Anthea Lucas-Botha yes. um, is probably just a fabulous CEO for that. And um, she came up and, and said some words and it was all just a ripper, ripper evening. Many happy returns to the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. There it is. 12.18. We need to move on. No, it's 12.19. Matt's doing up. He's holding up the symbol for a break. And that's what we're going to be having. And uh, after that, we have uh, the, uh, the person raised by wolves, Jess Ho. Hi, this is Ben Shuri from Attica Restaurant. Support independent local radio like Triple R. I always expect that to do something more, but it doesn't. It just grooves on like that. It just goes yeah. like that. Everybody's head was bopping a little bit, <laughs> uh, including our guest, Jess Ho. Hi, Jess. Oh, hello. How are you? Really, really excited to have you in the studio because uh, we've never done this, have we? We have. I was very young. I was here with, I think, Claire Davey. Yes. And someone else. Yes. And you asked a question about Thai food in Melbourne and if there was any decent Thai food here. Yeah. And then you may have also... Uh, posed a question yeah. about, well, 
I, oh, I, I have a memory like an elephant. I know you do, and this is the scary thing. This is why I'm a little bit frightened even just even coming in conversation with you. You asked me if I had aspirations to write for Gourmet Traveller, and I remember responding to you saying, I would never do that to Michael Harden. Yes, too to old a hard case. No way. Or actually we call him Helicopter Harden now. Oh, yes, I've seen the photos. Yes, yes, he shows everybody those, and that's the way that he needs to uh, to to travel. Well, you're back here. Um, you haven't taken over Michael's job, although is Michael still writing for – he still writes for Gourmet, doesn't he? He does? Yes. yes. Yeah, he most certainly does. Mm. Um, and uh, the reason we have you here is because – you have looked back over a time that you have spent in your life uh, in the hospitality industry. You've just released a book. Uh, it is called uh, Raised by Wolves. And uh, what a book it is. Um, I've You've devoured... dog-eared it. Yeah. I've, Heavily. I've, yeah, look at that. Uh, I've, I've given it a, a good, good run. I've also uh, highlighted through it ruthlessly. I don't know... If you're of the uh, the opinion that thou shall not annotate books or deface or defile, I there are some I people who get really shitty about that. No, I don't do it myself because mm. I'm a post-it note in the margin person, so I know, oh, so yes. I can see what I'm highlighting and find it very easily. Yes, but writing directly in there, I, I also have a specific pen I like to write with. It's it's the book size thing. It's yes. All, all very, very troublesome. Yes. Well, yeah. There are some people that uh, that don't really like that, but it, it sort of helps me because I have my my limited memory and my cogitating abilities uh, probably make it that I probably should do that. But uh, first of all, can I just at the outset, at the beginning of this interview, congratulate you on an amazing memoir? It it really, really is, and it's a book that made me laugh out loud. A few times, and you made me cry. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, look at you, let's smile. It's like, <laughs> you were saying to me off air that we have to maybe have some support groups of people that have read this book. I have received countless direct messages via mm. Instagram from both people I know and yes. people I do not know asking if there's a support group. And I was like, so you can drink heavily and talk about it? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, it's called a book club. Mm, yeah. Come on, duh. Why would you write the book? It was lockdown. I said yes to many things. Yeah. Okay. So you, you didn't learn how to play the mandolin or um, uh, learn Latin. Although, I, have you already done that? I learned no new skills. No new skills. No, I did not grow as a person. Yes. Um, I, I'm not a better person for it. No, instead I decided to get uh, very, very insular and um, incriminate myself on paper. Yeah, well, yeah, it's all been it's all been written down now. But in order to allow this to, to happen, you would have had to collaborate with an editor. And I'm just wondering, who was your editor and what was that collaboration like? And, you know, being having to report to an editor and do that. Um, well, it's quite funny. I'm used to reporting to an editor because uh, I freelance quite a lot. Yes. But in this situation, uh, my editor who commissioned the book 
I went on maternity leave and I went, oh, excellent. I'm going to wipe the sweat off my brow because I'll naturally be referred to someone down the line. The pressure is off. I was very incorrect. I was referred up the food chain Uh to the managing director of the entire publishing company. Did you get, oh, my God, Jess, now I've done it? Um, Well, I was kind of like, well, I don't know this person. We'll figure it out. And I met him for dinner right after I signed the contract and he's, and he's an Irishman. I'm not even going to try put on the accent because mm. it's very insulting. Yes. Uh, but the first thing he said to me was, I have no interest in a hospitality novel. Great. And I was like. Colours on them. Yeah, put your colours up. I was like, oh, right, now the pressure's on. Yeah. Um, oh, God. So but we, we I'm going to have to impress him. Well, we got on very well, and I was just like, look, it might not be your thing, but, um, you, know, you know. Hey, maybe there's stuff I can give here. We're all people. I'll make you laugh. There's lots of drinking in there. We can relate. Mm, come on, you know. <laughs> there's, there's all that. There's difficult customers. Yeah, um, but it, it was actually better that someone who has absolutely no interest in hospitality uh, was helping Perfect. me through that process. Absolutely. Because they could say... Yeah. Things like, I don't know what you're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. Or, um, you know, make it, it make it more personal. Yeah, and uh, and a bit of a jargon buster, huh? Yeah. Hospo I, jargon buster. It's yeah. Like, what the hell, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Can... Surprisingly, yeah. um, not, not a lot of that. I think a lot of it's explained, but um, being in Melbourne, we are very food literate. Yeah, we are, and this is uh, the, one of the great things about living in this town. So um, you are a, a child of Preston. I was born in the Preston Hospital. Born and raised. Uh, I was <laughs> As raised. As the Americans would say. I was raised in Taylor's Lakes. Mm. Bef- oh, Taylor's Lakes, right. Yeah, before all the houses were built on our block. Yeah. Um, before we realised it was named after four, I think they're fake Lakes? They're not natural lakes. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of them. In the area. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, I don't get it. We're just, this is normal. Mm. It's not normal. It's like, yeah, Albert Park, like, ain't normal. Like, that whole area was just built on swamp and. I know. I went to McRobb and uh, many a time have been attacked by a swan. (laughs) Oh, the swans are terrifying. The most aggressive swans I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, swans, swans used to just freak me out when I was a kid. It was probably the, the height of the, the head as to the middle part of the body that I thought that they might be able to peck, which scared the, the heck out of me. But let's have a little – can we delve a little bit into your childhood and talk a little bit about how was, the, how was food growing up? And was food important? Was it always present? Um, it was the only good time of my childhood, uh, mainly because I got to see the other members of my family, like my mm. aunts and cousins who weren't, uh, I don't know, not great parents. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, you get to connect with other people. Uh, my sister and I were quite insular, obviously, because we lived so far away from our other relatives as well. Yeah. Um, and when we were growing up in Taylor's Lakes, there weren't many Asians there. Yeah, right. So I, I look at your face. I, you're shocked. Now mm. it is. Now it is all of my people. Yes. Um, 
But I remember I used to have like the Sri Lankan kids and the Indian kids throwing rocks at me with the Italian kids and the Lebanese kids going, mm. ha ha, you're Asian. I'm like, have you seen a map? Yeah. Hello. Mm. It's, um, it's something that's always seemed to have been present. Uh, when I was growing up in school, in school, it was the Italians who were copying all the flack. And I remember there was a time when garlic was looked on with suspicion. And if you wore white socks was a sign of, holding up the quotation, sign of the wog. Oh. Uh, so, you know, even, even white socks. But um, there was one thing that you said that you, uh, an early um, moment was learning discipline by being disciplined. So you had some... Your mum was a bit of a nightmare with the uh, with the thongs and and stuff like that. My mum was it was a ruler when I was growing up. Ah. Um, but I remember there's this funny moment where you and your sister you obviously had a, a a pretty good relationship, but you would look if there was someone playing up at another table, going, "I wonder if they're going to be alive, if they'll survive that," you know. Oh, because yeah. you knew what was going to happen to you. Oh, totally. It's a. It's also a classic Asian thing. You know, you're raised to, you know, be able to eat in other environments, yes. and you are taught to not disrupt anything. Yeah. And uh, if you embarrass your parents by misbehaving, you will cop it. Yeah. Well, I, 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 we sort of grew up a little bit in the same sort of way. That was. Um, that was sort of the same for me that you know you didn't you didn't go out of line because actually my parents would be more sort of there would be you know that sort of stuff but my parents used to joke um, go and wait in the boot of the car and the waiters would be horrified but um, so you the book deals with childhood trauma we should probably just state that it, it's some pretty heavy trauma um, how's your relationship with your parents now? Mm, I would say non-existent in that I receive a WhatsApp message from my dad maybe once every three months. Really? What's it? Oh, God. And usually it is, look at the thing I grew in my garden. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> you make me snort. Um, what about your sister, though? You, do, do you, the bridges have been built there and you get along. There's empathy of, like, you know, su oh, survivor, you know. <laughs> Survivor guilt and oh, I think there's that bringing thing. together. It took us uh, growing up and uh, moving out of home to be able to talk to each other again. Yes. Yeah. Because you don't want to talk about it when you're experiencing it. Because yeah. Well, the stars are listening anyway. <laughs> well, that and then you're just acknowledging it and then you have to live uh, through it again. Yeah, you're like, yeah. I just need to get on. And you're just going to go through and... And you did, and I have to say there's aspects that I had no idea that um, of you, how early you had to leave home, and um, my God, just your dedication and your braveness in, and your resoluteness and your long-term view, yeah. um, which, which you did. I, I, I just have to applaud you on, but moving on to food, you started off at what you call one of the, the big four. Ah, uh, yes, one of those amazing fast Unnamed. But Unnamed. One of, one, of the, one of the big four. You'll have to see if you can work it out, Matt. Look, fast food grease pits. They're really good at uh, teaching you systems. 
Absolutely. And clean as you go. Makes yes. you, it makes you work clean because I did the same. Mm-hmm. Consistency. That? Consistency and that you can take a whole bunch of crap and keep smiling. Yeah. Do you want fries with that? And um, also it gears you up for being a licensee because I've never dealt with more. Uh, I dealt with a lot of drunk people at the beginning of my career yeah, and I right. dealt with a lot of drunk people at the end of my career. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, it does too because um, we see in, in those sort of things you see, uh, well, yeah, the very, just the very, very worst, you know, and uh, I think Matt has a good saying here going, these are not my people. <laughs> Yep. But you did find your people once you left the big four and you moved into a place you describe as a gastropub. Yes. It still Tell stands us a little bit. there. It still stands. It still stands. Um, Give us a hint what suburb. I will not. Damn. But I can guarantee. 3, I can guarantee that we have drunken there together. Yes. There is an owner. Well, it's funny because the owner is a friend of mine and uh, – there are times where I'm like, is this still gross here? Hmm. And then he pointed out a tile when he bought the place and I was like, oh, this is what happened. And he's like, oh, you know all the secrets. But the funniest thing about this place, this first place, is that you reminisce about it and say, this was the best team I ever worked with. And, and, I, and I take it that perhaps this could be one of the best times you had in hospitality, those embryonic times about learning and working out how you fit into this industry. Tell us a little bit about that. I think oh, I think the biggest thing about what made it so special is that we were all young. Social media wasn't really a thing. There was, no. I think Twitter just started, but no one was using it. Mm. Um, and the world was a lot smaller, so if you wanted to know something, you really, really wanted to know. Yes, you, know? you had to really delve in to find things. Yeah, you had to go and find it. And, like, one of my favourite memories, because we all had different nights off. Yes. Um, and I was friends with the chefs in the kitchen. They're like, where are you going for dinner on and, your night you, off? You made a link with the back of house, and it was actually sausages that, that brought the wall down. Yes. Yeah? <laughs> Which can't be said for every thing that happens, <laughs> yes. Sausages are not the answer. No. Yeah. Um, but in this case it was, in that you were able to um, have a real um, collaborative approach and, and um, these were your compadres. Yes. And, you know, I'd take the back of the house out for dinners and they'd show me restaurants they thought were awesome and why. Mm. They taught me, you know, they're like, if you see this on a plate, it's uh, just a flourish. Uh, they're swindling you. Yes. And, uh, yeah, like the concept of value and technique. Mm. Um, Discovery. Discovery, definitely. Discovery. But my favourite thing was, you know, once a month we'd get together and be like, okay, so we've been all to, to all these restaurants and we stole all their menus. And let's mm. uh, pour over the menus. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. It's and great. You have, I found a folder yes. the other day <gasps> when I was going through all my stuff yeah. of menus and one of them is from Provenance, uh, Michael wow, Ryan's place in yeah. Beechworth. In Beechworth. From over 10 years ago. Gosh. And I sent Michael Ryan a photo of it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's an old one. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that hurts me. Yeah. But uh, I imagine, uh, and one thing that um, as well as just really 
different cup of food that we've, you know, fashions we've moved away from. Um, but the prices. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I was just like, oh, this is why I could eat out back then. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, Melbourne was um, an easier town to, to live in in those days, wasn't it, really? Oh, yeah, people, you know, people understood wise. tipping. Yeah. Uh, there, there were expense accounts yeah, where were... they were allowed to tip. I remember... Oh, expense accounts, yeah. I remember the year that corporates were no longer allowed to tip on the company card and so we all just got no tips. Mm. This and the quality of the wine that you were able to drink and the booze afterwards would have... Uh... Uh, diminished as well. The direct, uh, a, a direct relationship, we could say, if we're using mathematical formula. Mm, yeah. Uh, yes, hundred yeah. uh, percent. But it was quite wild because, yeah, you. I remember people coming up with a corporate card, paying for like a thousand dollar dinner, mm. and being like, "Oh, sorry, we're not allowed to tip anymore." And one of my colleagues being like, if you all chuck $2 on a plate, that would be enough. Yeah, come on. You just dig into your own goddamn pockets, huh? Yeah. Maybe we could do that. Well, look, we're going to find out um, one of the roles, of course, that, uh, well, for better or for worse, just defines you. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about a place that you talk about in the book. It's known as The Restaurant. And we'll hear about that after this. Triple R. Hello. Oh, you've joined us. <laughs> well, if you've just joined us, so uh, you've missed out on half a bloody amazing interview with an incredible person. Uh, Jess Ho is here. Raised by Wolves is the name of the book. It is a memoir with bite. <clears throat> and, uh, well, we've just been shooting the breeze about uh, the formative years at uh, the gastro pub that uh, shall not be named, but... Where bridges were built, and um, and and passion was aroused in this industry, and a curiosity about food and booze. Yeah. Yes, and we are all still friends. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Do you do you eat out? Do you, do you get together and 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 hang and get to have boozy lunches or dinners? I occasionally see one or two of them. Uh, However, our lives have all moved in different directions. Of course it has. Whether someone has become an engineer, whereas someone's a a graphic designer, there are children involved. You mean the ones that escaped? Yes, the smart ones. (laughs) Yeah, the smart ones. Uh, And... You know, you're an adult, and mm. I saw this meme recently where they're like, you just text each other or message each other for about six months saying, let's catch up, and you never do. You never do. Uh, that's so. the relationship I have with them. I ran into one of them at the airport once, and we talked like we just saw each other yesterday. <laughs> yeah, because it's a profound thing working together in hospitality because you are – Bourdain got it right, I think, when he talks about there's us and then there's the civilians. And that – so when I first read that that book and he talked about the civilians, that so resonated with me because um, it's – that's really what it's like, isn't it? Because hospo people to, – to paraphrase Snoop Dogg, hospo knows hospo. Hospo does know Hospo. It yeah. doesn't matter where I am in the world. Mm. Someone goes, are you working here or are you visiting? You're visiting, yeah, because uh, 
because there's something about hospo people. It's you described it. Maybe it's some in the way people walk. Yes, with purpose and you know doing things, or just an attitude and stuff like that. And you did get to experience that when you uh, got away to New York. But before we talk about that, we have to talk about the role that, um, for a lot of people, um, has defined you in this town. We maybe we called you. Uh, what did I write down here? The uh, the gatekeeper um, and also the uh, the keeper of uh, the social media, the uh, the descriptor, uh, I suppose. I think I wrote it down a little bit better than that. But uh, you got a job uh, at a place which you call in the book the restaurant. The restaurant, so original. No, it's it has illusions, and you know it's it's hiding behind the thing, but. Uh, what were those times like? How did it how did it come to be and what was what was it like working in the restaurant? Hilariously, I think I was one of the first people they hired mm. uh, because I received an email from the owner of the restaurant. <laughs> and the email was very brief, uh, with a few spelling mistakes that said, Meet me at this venue job opportunity. No, no questions. No, if I'm available, just meet me here. Mm. And so I asked around, who is this person? Uh, because I was very young. Yes. And they're like, oh, you know, worth a meet. Yeah. Um, sat- Look out. Yeah. I turned up. Uh, they were there. The general manager was there. And I was like, oh, so this is not a conversation. This is you interviewing me with uh, no background. Yes. And they just said, okay, you're hired. And I'm like, I wasn't looking for a job, but okay. I guess I guess yeah, I am now. I'm, I'm hired for what? Yeah, what's, what's all that about? And there were a few whispers and they gave me the general concept of what the venue was going to be. Yes. And I was like, you know, in theory, sounds great. And uh, as the pieces fell together, I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm in now, and we'll just see how it goes. And it was it was a long haul. It was a long haul. It was um, an exhausting haul. Uh, yeah. Staff, you know, were burnt out. And I think the only way that I can illustrate this properly is I remember the architects coming through the building once, and everything is obviously industrial grade, um, but the architects walked through and they were like, these floors... You have not been open. They were like, you have not been open for a year. These floors are meant to last 10 years. Yeah. You have so much foot traffic, it needs to be replaced. Oh, chairs were breaking and, yeah. and, and you know, they're the Thonne chairs with lifetime guarantees. Mm. Everything was just so worn because that's how many people would pass through. Well, there was just, I don't know how many sittings you did in a day, but there was... A million. A million. It was it was always the fact that there was a line out the front of this place and uh, and you were there. You were pretty much the, the, the gatekeeper on all this and uh, witnessed this and uh, one of the uh, a profound realisation you had, I think, on opening night is that women's toilets can be a lot more disgusting than men's toilets. I always knew that. Yes. But I had never seen what really? I saw that evening. Yes. I had also never smelt what I smelt that evening. Yes, it was uh, entitled. You'll have to read the book, folks. But uh, it was a uh, it was a work entitled Blood Mountain. And I think they've worked it out. Yes, I think they have. <laughs> um, hospitality takes a great toll. 
on people. And uh, one of the things that you acknowledge is the fact that it's uh, the body uh, takes a bit of a beating doing this job, does it not? The body and the brain, yeah. uh, the emotions. Like I, I, there are things I shouldn't do anymore because of what hospitality has done to my body. Yes. My, I see a myotherapist every two weeks just so I can function. God, I wish I could have got a therapist. It's, that's, what it was, that's what I was missing from my life, getting out of hospitality. Um, there must be a lot of people um, out there that uh, have aspirations, that have hopes, and dreams of maybe having their own place where they can while away the hours and greet people as they come through the door and serve them food and make them happy. What's your advice to them, Jess? Have a dinner party instead. Mm -hmm. It's a lot cheaper. Yes. The people are nicer. Yeah. And um, you can kick everyone out at the end of the night and they'll still love you. Yeah. So, in other words, forget about it. Okay, Matt, we've got to do that because, oh, yeah, we're just running out of time. Um, We could... You should come back and do some more talking. Can before we um, uh, we get Nerida, who's patiently waiting, and we, we're chewing into her time. Sorry, Nerida, out there. Um, can I also uh, recommend people to listen to your podcast? Because as well as having uh, a dalliance with TV, where you find out the biggest thing to do is hurry up and wait. Great description. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your podcast. Do you want to quickly give your podcast a bit of a plug? Because I oh. think. They are brilliant. So it's called Bad Taste. It is – you can get it anywhere you get your podcasts. But yes. uh, one of your brilliant producers here, Bez Zardera, Bez. yes, is one of the producers on the show. It is about how the foods we eat make us who we are, as mm. told from a BIPOC perspective in Australia. Beautifully produced. Your voice is beautiful. It comes through and your knowledge and empathy and uh, understanding of food is extraordinary and I commend it to anyone to listen to. It is amazing. Matt, uh, we should probably do a break. Yes. Uh, we'll get Nerida. You want to stick around to try some pav? Of course. You'd be crazy not to. <laughs> Coming, Nerida. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. 12.51 here on 3 Triple R FM. You like the way I give that veneer of calm? It's a well-oiled machine. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, we just suddenly people come in, people go out. <gasps> Narrative McPherson's in here, though, uh, a.k.a. the Pav Queen, uh, the Bon Vivant, and um, you're here, and what a delight it is. Thank you, Cam. I just been so excited about coming in and seeing you today. Well, it's... And meeting beautiful Jess Ho. Yes. What an honour. It is It is a bit of an honour, isn't it? Yes. But um, you have been so busy. I think we've talked about this uh, during lockdown, the fact that we all talk about the P word uh, and you're the way that you decided to do this ballerina move. I like to think of pirouette. Out of des- sheer desperation to pay my bills. Yes. Yeah, a girl's got to eat. <laughs> That's right. So you came up with the idea of uh, uh, whipping up egg protein for to uh, to make protein networks and setting those in a traditional way, also known as the pavlova. Oh, my gosh. You need to write my little blurb on all my No, boxes. that's not sexy at all. No, you need someone who can sex. I mean, you need Jess to do that, yeah. not me to go into food science jargon. Uh. Um it is, and you've brought one in. Tell us a bit about 
How did this uh, this Pavlova Pavlovian thing happen? <laughs> so your mum rang a just, bell and you started making Pavlova. It's pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I've worked in food media for you know fifteen years or twenty years or so, mm. um, and I have a food and wine podcast on Virgin Airlines and Jetstar. And when the plane stopped flying and all my other emceeing different gigs stopped on the same day, the people in air traffic control just didn't want to listen to it. No, everyone was over it. No. <laughs> idiots. Yeah. Come on. Anyway, so all my work dried up on the Friday. I remember and I thought, it, yeah. oh my gosh, how am I going to pay my bills? And it so was the gate just shut. It just, on the one day, yeah. 12 months worth of work on the board wiped off. That's right, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was literally one day. And then, um, uh, anyway, I did what most people did and I flopped around just feeling sorry for myself mm. and, you know, realising that having more time on my hands is not the answer because my shed is still an utter disgrace. Yes. And so I, on about probably week three or four, I thought, oh, I've got to do something productive in my day today. Just, I'll just do it day something. by day. Just something. <laughs> just even, I can keep my pyjamas on. Yes. That's too much pressure, but yes. I'll do something. Yeah. And so I'm not a sweets maker. Mm. My family never had sweets. My dessert, I, I grew up in Hong Kong, so we, it just was more about the savoury food. Yeah. We lived very much like locals. We did not, we were not expats as such over there. Mm. So um, we had it just sponge cakes and things like that were just not a thing. We no. just didn't have them. So for a special treat, my mum would trot out tin peaches and ice cream. That was like full blast dessert <laughs> on a special occasion. <laughs> yeah. And so... I just never – I mean, my backside is made of chips and cheese, hardcore, so, yeah, that's my one of my claims to right. fame. yes. <laughs> yeah. No strangers here. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I made a pav for a girlfriend whose birthday it was, and it's just – she's just always been a mad pav lover. Mm. And um, I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go. So, you know, went I, I Googled all these different recipes and one from Kidspot because um, I thought parents, you know, mums, they'll put a simple thing up there. No. Yeah. No. No. Well, no, not for me anyway. So Mm. anyway, I made it and it was so bad. Thank you, Matt. When I pulled it out of the oven, it was just the worst thing I have ever seen in my life. And I thought, oh, truly. What happened? Sunken? It just was kind of a teeth cracking. On fire. It was just gross. It had this weird eggy smell. Oh, I thought this is insulting to Pavlova, truly. So I made seven in the end. And by number seven... So you were resolute. It's like, okay, yes. bugger this. You're not going to defeat no, me. No. I, I was crying on the floor in the kitchen oh, saying, God. I am not going to be beaten by meringue on no. top of everything else this crap year. Yeah. I will rise triumphant. Uh, well, I will <laughs> set this protein network. <laughs> so going out illegally for the seventh time that day to get another box of eggs, Yeah. I came through with the goods and I opened the oven and I thought, oh, Hallelujah. Yeah, and there's angel choruses playing. Yes. yes. And it was okay. It had yes. the hard, crunchy shell and yes. squishy marshmallow in the middle. And Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Decorated it, sent it off in an Uber. There's your freaking pav. I hope you enjoy it. Fake smile plastered on my face. You bitch. Yes. Yes. Anyway, she called and said, oh, Ned, I love the pav. Oh, Best the pav really And I thought, oh, bless, because you love me. You're my friend and you're being kind. But yeah. we both know it struggles. Yes. And then she posted a picture on Instagram and then I had 35 random people messaging me that by the end of the week saying, oh, my gosh, could you make me one? And I'm like, no, oh, no. it's not a thing. What yeah, do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah. It's not a thing. What do you think I am? Some, <laughs> some, some pav, pav queen or something? <laughs> 
Anyway, then I dug my mum out of ISO and said, right, <laughs> this is an me. excuse because you're lonely and sad, so yeah, get yeah. over here. <laughs> she's not lonely and sad as a person. No, no, she's no. just lonely and sad from lockdown. She just needed some motivation. Yes. Yeah. And I roped in my daughter who at the time was on a gap year. Yes. And she was in a very bad place. But yes. Not just because of the pandemic. She the just... Stuff, yeah. <sighs> Daughter stuff. Yeah, so come, someone's we'll going to die yeah. in this situation. It's probably me. Yeah. Anyway, so we roped her in and mm. gave her a bit of pocket money. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, she made pavs with mum and I in the kitchen. Oh, and intergenerational pav making. Yes. Wee. And we just talked. And it was oh. so good to be able to just crap on, really, to each other about stuff and <laughs> sent them out to the community, to anyone who was having a hard time, um, and just that's kind of how it got started. And then I uh, sent one to Scott Pickett, um, who's a chef, who's a family, a dear friend of mine, and I said, look, no judging, I'm not a chef, but here's a pav because life sucks at the moment. And he um, rang and said, oh, my gosh, best pav I've ever had. You've got to keep this going past lockdown. And I thought, well, I've got teenagers and dogs walking around. I'll get shut down by the health department. Can't yeah. really. What have, what have I done? Yes. <laughs> and so um, anyway, he said, well, look, my restaurant, Smith Street Bistro, it now is in Collingwood, is empty. We're doing renos for the next six months. Here's the key. Knock yourself out. Yeah, he gave you the kitchen he gave too. Me the key. God, God bless. So we just moved in there and I'm like, ooh. Ooh, multiple ovens. Yeah, Ooh, oh my God. Because although I've worked... KitchenAid on a stand. Couldn't believe how fancy. Yeah. And uh, even though I've worked in hosp- you know, with restaurants for many, many years, I've never actually worked back of house in a restaurant. I've yes. Cooked professionally. Yes. So for me it was very exciting and off we went and we churned out, I think, 68 pavs for that first Christmas Eve, which I told my mum was 25, and then I just kept saying, oh, I'm not good at saying no, I've realised. Personal defect, I'm working on it. Yeah. So off we went, and then I closed it down. Um, After that, rocking in the corner for a few months nearly killed me with exhaustion, and then all my real jobs came back on, Mm. and then I missed making pavs. So I found a butcher that had been... Empty for butcher for eighty five years, demeated it and yes. opened Pav Queen. And you're also <laughs> the other thing that you told me, which I think is very, very exciting, is that you're doing classes to teach others the way yes. of the Pav. We're doing master classes to teach meringue making and past and master uh, bleh, Pavlova. Pavlova masterclass. And Father's Day and all these exciting things coming up. We do lots of different flavours. How do we get to you? Uh, au or pav.queen on Instagram. Beautiful. Nerida, thank you for coming in. Pleasure. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.